O of the Church Bibles. That's Luke 23, starting at verse 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, Lord uh, God, uh, sometimes when we come to these stories of people rising from the dead, it can just seem like utter nonsense Our Lord, we can just go away wondering what on earth just happened there. And I pray, Lord, that you would lighten our hearts as I speak now and that you would help us to have a sure and certain hope in you as our King who lives and reigns today. Amen. Amen. Well, this just is one of the most wonderful things, I think, is that talking through someone who has risen from the dead, but not just anyone, the Son of God, uh, and this, for me, was one of the most crucial things, and I just cannot help but tell people of what I've seen and heard 
And if that's not you today, I think that's totally normal because actually that's what happens in this passage, isn't it? In verse 11, this all just seems like nonsense. And you go away wondering, well, what was all that about? But I, my prayer is that we go through this, that you, uh, that you might actually just see and be captivated by how wonderful this resurrection of Jesus is from the dead and that you might be found amongst the living forever in Christ Jesus. And this might give you confidence, not only in your faith and in your life, but in your death and what comes after. And also that might give you just a, I can't, I can't help but just tell you, anyone who will listen, about this King Jesus who lives and reigns, who is not dead. We're going to talk about his resurrection and the power of God to preserve our life and rescue us from death and wrath. That resurrection power that we're going to see here. Uh, so last week, uh, actually, we looked at the Mark drama, uh, where the words of Mark just get acted out, uh, and we saw the death of Jesus Christ. It's an incredibly moving moment when the church goes dark and there's someone actually pretending to be on the cross, a bit like watching that video that we just saw and let then. Um, the death of Jesus Christ. And that's the first thing that we get here uh, in verses 50 to 56 is that Jesus is buried. We're going to have a look at that. So you can see Jesus is definitely dead and he's buried. But then in verses 1 to 12, we see Jesus is risen. So Jesus is buried, Jesus is risen. And then we're going to think through, okay, well, what does that kind of mean for us if he was dead and buried and is risen? Uh, and we'll watch uh, a film at, at the end. So first of all, Jesus is buried. So I think Luke's going out of his way here. If you read the opening chapters, he, he's saying, look, I've been and had a chat with all the eyewitnesses because I want you to be certain of the things that you were taught. So this is not just to kind of make it up as you go along. He's got an agenda, and that is to make us certain about what we taught. And one of the things that he wants us to be certain about here is that Jesus was buried. And so we get who, who did it, when they did it, and where they did it, and verified by some others too. So we start off here, don't we? It's the, it was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. So a big Passover celebration, uh, the day of rest. We are not allowed to do any work. It's a holiday for the, for the Israelites. Uh, and at that time, verse 50, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council of the elders. He's a good and upright man. And he had not consented to the council's decision and action to crucify Jesus. We read elsewhere that he's a disciple, a follower of Jesus. It's nice, isn't it? There's his name and virtually his job and where he works. You can go and check if you like. That's the aim, isn't it? Not some random punter rolling out of a cave saying he had a vision. Actually, there's a person who did this. You can go and have a chat with him. What did he do? He came from the Judean town of Arimathea. So that's his address. You can go and ask around there if you like. And he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Isn't that nice? He's waiting for the kingdom, which means you're waiting for a king to come. And what's terrible for him is that king he thought was Jesus. That's why he didn't want Jesus to be crucified. But Jesus is now dead. And so actually, do you see how it was he was waiting for the kingdom of heaven? He slightly thinks it's all over because the king is all over. He's in the tomb. That's what we're doing now, isn't it? And who, and who is that Joseph uh, accompanied with as well here? Do you see uh, verse 55? The women who had, who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph 
And they saw the tomb with their own eyes. And they saw how the body was laid in it. Do you see? So it's not just one guy. There's a whole little bunch there. And actually we've got their names as well. If you go on to 24 uh, verse uh, 10 it is. There was Mary Madeline, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and others with them who were actually all in that little crowd. So we got all the names of the people that actually, that's the dead Jesus. And then what do they do? They're putting him in a tomb. Uh, and you notice how actually the way that Jesus is described is it's clear that he's dead. So we have uh, verse 52. Going to Pilate, he asked for, not Jesus, but Jesus' body. Do you see the dislocation from the name and the body? Because he's dead. And then he took him down. No, it's he took it down. Do you see that? It's because Jesus is dead. It's no longer alive. It's now a thing. They wrapped it, not him, they wrapped it in linen cloth. And they placed it in a tomb, cut in the rock. One in which no one had yet been laid. Do you see that? Jesus is dead. And we're getting to see who buried him where they buried him, and how they buried him. Jesus is buried. He's left in the tomb. Uh, so he's not spirited away. He's not been swapped with someone or something else. So the resurrection isn't an effort to explain how the Roman or Jewish authorities just disappeared Jesus' body into some unmarked grave. We're getting here. Jesus is dead and buried. I want you to be certain of that, says Luke. Uh, yeah, and we can see what his death means. Let's go back over that. Verse 51b. Do you see, note the waiting for the kingdom of God is a little hint of what Jesus' death meant. It meant that you can no longer be waiting for the kingdom. Because actually the king who was supposed to bring it, the dream of the kingdom of God that would be a perfect place with perfect people, with God ruling in perfect kind of kingship. They needed a person, this Messiah, to be promised all the way through the Old Testament to come and do that. And Jesus was supposed to be that person. But all that's going to have to wait because that king is now dead. Luke wants us to be sure through the eyewitness accounts of those who were there that Jesus' body was there, dead and buried, until... It wasn't. That's the next section. We wrote in 1 and 12. Jesus is risen. See, on the first day of the week, so we're Sunday morning, uh, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So, do you notice the disciples are still nowhere in sight? They didn't have anything to do with the burial. They've abandoned Jesus and just legged it. They're just not even on the scene. Lovely that the women are the first witnesses of the empty tomb. And what do they do? Verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. That is horrific. Can you imagine going to a graveyard to see someone that you know and love that's been put in the ground, and when you get there, all the soil has been dug up from their tomb? It's an extraordinary moment of, what? What is this? But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. There's something very weird going on here. They watched these things, didn't they? 
back in the last chapter, they watched uh, Joseph and the guys that helped prepare the body and put it in the tomb. And now they've seen the empty tomb, verse 3, and now they're wondering. Watch, see, wonder. And maybe they're going through all the theories they could think of apart from the resurrection. Because let's face it, that does sound like nonsense, doesn't it? That's what the disciples are going to say in verse 11. So maybe they're thinking, oh, maybe like the, the Romans have nicked him or the gardeners got him or right, what's going on? But then heaven breaks in. Just as when Jesus arrived as a baby, angels appeared. And now when he's left, angels appeared. Uh, uh, and so with the two angels, what do they say? Heaven breaks into the drama to answer and to remind the women that they know what the answer is and they've known all along. This shouldn't be a surprise to you. What do they say? Uh, the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? You see that? Jesus, if Jesus was dead, this would be the right place to look in the graveyard. But he's living so you shouldn't be looking in a graveyard. You should be looking in a, I don't know, a place where living people gather. The cinema. I don't know where it is. But do you see the point? See, so they say, he is not here. He has risen. And then, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. And then they quote his words. The Son of Man, that's a title that refers to Jesus. It's about his authority to be the king and judge of all people. He would call himself the son of man. It's a title that comes from the Old Testament. So Jesus said, look, the son of man, I, Jesus, must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. Now, when he said that back in the Bible, people didn't really get it. It sort of just goes over their head. But not now. Verse 8, then they remembered his words. Oh, yeah. So why are you looking for the living among the dead? Well, the answer from the women is, well, because we thought he was dead. But, they th but the angels clearly think Jesus is alive. And so it makes no sense to look for him among the dead, but much more to look among the living. Just like you don't look for fresh veg in the bin. You go and look for fresh veg in the fridge, don't you? And then there's this reminder that the women should have known. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Do you remember that? I love that all of heaven is looking on. Did you notice that? So the angels were actually there when, angel, when Jesus was saying it. All of heaven was looking on when Jesus predicted his death and resurrection. They know it. That's so nice, isn't it? As we stand with them, looking back, taking notes with them. So the Son of Man was to be delivered, crucified, and the third day he would raise, he'd be risen again. So the women remember it would take God's work to get us to remember Scripture. Do you see that? They didn't naturally remember what Jesus had said, and they didn't naturally believe it. It took God to intervene to do it. And it's the same for us. We've got to pray that God would help us see this and know it by his Holy Spirit. Now, we're not told if the women believed, but I bet they did, partly because of what they do next. They run off and they share it with the apostles, don't they, in verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, so that's Jesus' followers, 
who are still left, and to all the others who were there, and there's then all the people who did it. But those they told, verse 11, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So I'm pretty sure the women believed because they went and spouted what seemed like nonsense to everyone. Like, look, Jesus has risen from the dead. Remember, he said he would do it, actually, and now he's done it. And we had the angels, and they said his body's not there. And, you know, the only rational response is to go, that is nonsense, isn't it? Even if you're a disciple who has seen Jesus raise people from the dead, even if you're a disciple who's seen Jesus calm storms, when you hear this news, you'd still say, no, people don't come back from the dead like that, do they? So we're told the disciples, they don't get it at all. They're referred to as the apostles here, which is quite nice, because it's a little nod to the fact that they will believe and that they will proclaim the resurrection and God's kingdom will spread everywhere with the lordship of Jesus. That's quite nice, isn't it, when they meet the living Jesus. So why didn't they believe in verse 11? Because it seemed like it's nonsense. I mean, it does, doesn't it? Once people are dead, they don't come back to life. It's all one-way traffic. And just like the women, Peter has been watching on, and remember, he disowned Jesus. He want, he's actually had want nothing to do with him. And how must have he heard the news that Jesus is risen and alive when he's disowned him? Pretty worried. But now he's seeing as he runs to the tomb. Do you see that? Peter uh, got up and ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And then just like the women, not only has he been watching and seeing, he's now wondering. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. But interestingly, he doesn't kind of believe and share, does he? It's left hanging. That's going to come. He's left wondering what's happened. But they're not believing and sharing. So Jesus has defeated sin. The wages of... He has defeated death, which is the wages of sin. He is risen. And so we won't find Jesus in a hole in the ground, but we will find him living. So what does that mean for us? Well, the challenge is, what do we make of it all that Jesus has risen? What do you make of that? Reading Luke's gospel, we're like the women and the, and the disciples, we're watching what's going on, aren't we? Reading about the empty tomb, maybe you're wondering what all this is about. Maybe you're prompted by this reminder here to look back at Scripture and to see that this has been promised for thousands of years and by Jesus himself. And so the next step for us is, will we believe and share? Wonderfully, Peter did. In Acts 2.32, he's, he's preaching uh, to um, the very people who on the council who killed Jesus. And he says, look, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. And Acts 4.20, he says, uh, when he's told to stop speaking about Jesus, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard because it's so wonderful. Seeing, wondering, remembering scripture, and then believing and sharing. So we want to be certain for ourselves, don't we? That's the aim of this whole gospel, is to know, this book, is to know the certainty of the things we were taught. And so this passage adds, uh, uh, this passage adds to that. Why not go straight, uh, you know, we could just go, couldn't we, straight from Jesus dying on the cross to Jesus appearing. Do you, do you see that? 
But what this passage does is it gives us certainty that Jesus was definitely dead and buried and he definitely rose. So it tells us that Jesus is not dead. You won't find him in a tomb. It also tells us that Jesus is not with his followers in the same way. He's not in a physical presence anymore in his creation, but he's with us by his spirit, much more close. It also tells us that this is not the end of his redemption plans for Israel, but the start of his rescue plan as the apostles go out and proclaim to all the nations. Uh, And we see that as the mission that he says in verses 46 and verses 47. Uh, where he says, he told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and must go and do that. So we're only certain for ourselves that we would believe and not be able to stop ourselves from speaking of what we've seen and heard. But we also want to be certain with other people. The biggest deal, the most major surprising part of all this stuff about Jesus is this resurrection. Okay, Jesus did lots of crazy things and lots of amazing things and lots of things that you might discuss and be worried about. But by far and away, the biggest deal about Jesus is this claim that he rose from the dead and so proved that he is the son of God who rules over everyone and everything. Because death defeated means he has a kingdom without end and a kingdom without pain a kingdom without death a kingdom without sin a kingdom without separation from one another a kingdom without separation from God this resurrection means that we must uh, this must be what we are certain about with other people and what we must be witnessing to that Jesus is Lord not was Lord but is Lord. And we know that because he has risen from the dead and he is alive and reigning today, now. And that same offer is on the table for you. Or you run the risk of rejecting the God who lives and reigns today. And that's a slightly worrying thing, isn't it? Like Peter disowning Jesus. And so it's no good not witnessing to this part the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Our greatest problem is with death and wrath. And the greatest solution is this person who has risen from the dead. And so if we're not talking about how our Lord is alive and reigns and has risen from the dead with utter certainty to other people, we're missing it. A first aider doesn't go to someone who's injured and just adjust the tie on the person who has just been hit by the car. A surgeon doesn't trim the toenails and ignore the heart bypass. A fireman doesn't water plants and ignore the fire. And so a Christian talks about the resurrection from the dead in Christ Jesus. No matter how much that might sound like nonsense to the people who are hearing it, we talk about this because it means that our Lord reigns, he is alive and he is our king forever. And it doesn't matter how weak or untrained you feel, like these women. They're not public speakers. They're not even counted as proper witnesses in a court of law. It doesn't matter how little you think you will be believed, like these women who went and told the disciples, knowing that they'd probably get, well, that's nonsense. They still did it, didn't they? 
And it doesn't matter that it just seems like nonsense, even to you as you say it out loud, just as it did to the apostles. We do it reminding people, and we do it reminding people of God's word, always coming back, just like the angels did, to the promises of the Old Testament that this king would rise and reign forever, to the promises of Jesus before it happened. And we do it with great wonder. Because our king is a forever king who is alive today. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you would give us these words so that we might be certain that though Jesus was buried, he rose from the dead and he is our forever king. He has this power over even life and death. He knew he would be crucified. He knew he would be raised again. And he knew he would do that so that we would be his kingdom forever and ever, enjoying his presence with us every day in our hearts. Lord, bless us, I pray, with a knowledge and wonder at that and a confidence to speak of what seems like nonsense but is the most precious truth, that Jesus is alive. Amen. For reflection, we're now going to watch a video uh, by a bit of a hero called uh, Dr. S.M. Lockeridge. Uh, and he did this bit at the end of a 40-minute sermon. And it helps us just lift our eyes to what a king we have in Jesus who reigns today and is with us because the, the tomb couldn't hold him. So, Lord God, please bless the tech and help it to work. Amen. My king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He's the prize, strength of the weak. He's available to the tempted and the pride. He sympathizes and he saves.